0: Suzanne, I need you to join me up here this morning. The good-looking Larson is coming up. Good morning. Can I give you a kiss on Mother's Day? Am I allowed to do that? Love you, too. So I said to Suzanne, we always pray together right away in the morning, and I said, I know I'm biased, but um," I said, you are the best mom in the world. I said, of course, the best Life in the world and everything. She said, Yeah, I think you're biased.
1: Just but, a little. Just, a, just little. a little. I am. Well, it's a good thing I'm biased, right?
0: Yeah. I yes, should be I'm biased. Happy
1: you love me. Yes, I think you should be. That's good. I
0: that's forgot good. to mention BGMC Buddy Barrels. Yes. You I want know. to say something? Let me rest for one second.
1: Yeah. So, so um, who knows what this is? Well, that's right. Okay. You have a story to tell. Yes. So, this is Buddy Barrel. And this is the way that our kids can give toward missions. So like this month, any money they put in here will go toward the Convoy of Hope finances. So last Sunday, we had um, a missionary here, Mitch and Tammy Walner, who enjoyed them. I thought they oh were my great, yes. rock
0: star.
1: Um, but I almost got up at the end. I just almost couldn't contain myself because um, I was looking at Buddy Barrel, and I thought about myself and Pastor Mitch, and then I thought about uh, the missionary that was here. And so I asked them after, when we were um, having lunch with them, I said, was BGFC an important um, component to you learning the value of missions, the value of giving, and the value of community? And we all agreed that it was something that within us, it like stirred us, and now all of us are in... Or pastoring, or missionaries, um, and the one thing I remember growing up is that it wasn't just me, like taking money from my chores or my dad saying, like, "Here, put some money in, so it's not empty when you get to church." <laughs> um, but when when the spiritual mothers and fathers that surrounded me in my church saw me with my buddy, barrel, they'd be now back in my day. It was like, "Here's a quarter, okay." So I'm 50 I'll be 52 pretty soon. Ooh, you're old. So, you know, so now it'd be like, what, a dollar, five dollars? I don't know. But that made an impact on me, walking look, through the halls barrel. of our church and having people say, here, put this in your bu- in your barrel. So this little thing is much more than just a little bang for your kids. This signifies raising them up and training them and instilling in them a passion to reach the lost and to reach people around the world and to be outward focused. So we have some up here that if your kids don't have them, take them. If they took them last week and left them in the hallway, <laughs> take another one. Okay, they're here. And, um,
0: and talk to your kids about what you're doing. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, just talk about, like, you know, time oh, means 10%. Like, mission, this is an offering. Like, this is what we're going to give because there's kids around the world that, that have food insecurity they don't wake up saying what cereal's in the cupboard or I want eggs or, you know, whatever. They, they don't have it. So it's a great teaching opportunity. But also as a church community, we get to help instill that in our kids. So, Amen. Yeah.
0: We better get preaching.
1: Yeah, I know.
0: You're long-winded. Uh,
1: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Said no one ever. Said no <laughs> one ever. <laughs> love you. Uh, yeah. So I
0: invited Suzanne to join me today. And not, not because it's Mother's Day. Actually, it was a little, I actually didn't want to do it because it's Mother's Day because I didn't want to put something else on you. But we're, we've been going through the, the seven attributes of a Christ follower from our follow material. And you're all, you should all be familiar with the follow material by now. We've been talking about it for like four or five months. Like a whole bunch of you went through the follow training. And a bunch of you are going through the follow books with people. And that's the goal. Our goal is that we always have people going through the follow that you, your neighbor is interested in Jesus and you're saying, well, let's just go through this book together. And so we just thought the great way to follow up when we, we presented that leading up to Easter um, was that from Easter for the next seven weeks we do the seven, the seven um, main uh, t- uh, I'm, I'm, having, yeah, I'm trying to look for a different word. My, my brain's not working. The seven main points. There we go. Thank you. I'm not sure what you said, but that's what I believe you said. The seven main points in the book. <laughs> which are the seven attributes. <laughs> thank you, Debbie. Um, but uh, anyway, um, today we're at number five, which is learning. And they all about learning. Learning to do different things. Learning to love. And when I came to that topic, I started looking at it and working through what I, what I thought was from the follow material, what trying to just add to the follow material. I really thought I wanted to bring Suzanne to talk with me um, and do this as a, as a team because um, Suzanne's been the main one who's taught me how to love well. Um, you know, and we'll talk about marriage in a little while as we go through some stuff, but that's where I've learned really learned how to love. I would say I didn't have necessarily an upbringing that taught me how to love all that well. But Suzanne is the one God used in my life to teach me what love is and how to love well and, how, you know, what love looks like and what it doesn't look like. And so I thought, you know what, you need to help me out with this. And so we also thought Mother's Day was the perfect day to talk about love because when we think about, you know, who defines love, I really think we generally think moms, that moms, that moms define love. And so today we want to talk about it. So let's first of all talk about this. What is love? What, how do you love someone? What does it mean to love somebody? What do you think it means to love somebody?
1: Well, if we look at Dal- Dallas Willard's definition, and which I like, it's um, that love is willing the best for another person. And, um, you know, when we were talking about this, I thought,
0: it sounds easy.
1: And as Christians, especially, we look and we're like, oh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, you know, and love your enemy and and it seems so easy, but it's not yeah. it's and artistic. the the definition of love in our in our culture has been hijacked
0: you know to such a point that there's so many different definitions of it, but if we boil it
1: right down to it is um, so our love for Christ you know how, how do I how do I will the best? what is his will for me and then how how do I live out? willing the best for my neighbor and so it's it's very hard but we have we have to boil it down to a definition yeah so it's because the world will define it for us
0: and they define it in things like you know love is sex Mm
1: -hmm. love is
0: you know um something i enjoy so i love pizza Mm -hmm. and if we have the wrong definition of love so we're talking about learning to love and it's going to be directed towards god and others so we got to understand what that means it doesn't mean like i feel towards somebody like i feel towards pizza
1: right
0: you know well that's what people think right yeah. Oh so when you're fourteen and you're infatuated, you oh I love that person. No, you have some hormones that are racing through your body and your brain's working in such a way that you have a very real response, but that very real response isn't love. That's right. That real response is is a physiological something, whatever it is, but love is an action. And love is choosing to will the best for another person. So if you love someone, you can't say, I love that person, and then harm them. Right. Do things to harm them. Right. That would be the opposite of love. Right. Um, right. Directly or indirectly doing things. You do this, my actions hurt you, That's right. and, and I know my actions hurt you, that I am showing that I don't love you right. because I'm not willing the best for you. Right.
1: And if we understand that, you know, God is our example of love. That is where... Yeah, the, we're getting... Right that's, that's right, that's who we look at for the definition. Right,
0: right. right. Um, so, let's think about this. Jesus explained that Christianity is lived out when we love God and love others. And it's interesting, when I typed this the first time, I, I didn't type all, And I typed it this way, and I gave it to Suzanne, I don't know if she caught it, and I fixed it, I said, I, I wrote my notes, Christianity is loved out when we love. And I thought I thought I should actually keep it that way because that's really what Christianity is. Christianity is loving out. It's loving people. If we are to define Christianity, I think Christianity can be defined in two words. Forgiving because we've been forgiven, and loving because we're loved. So I think that's really what Christianity is all about. So it's about it's about loving and, and in, in Mark's gospel, the twelfth chapter, it says it says this about, about that it says um, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart you just mentioned it with all your heart all your soul with your, with your mind and all your strength and the second is this you shall love your neighbor as yourself there is no other commandment greater than these so he's saying you shall will the best for God you shall will the best for your neighbor there's no greater commandment than these that that's really what Christianity is all about so let's think about that if that's what Christianity is that Christianity is not first about giving money, although it is, right? If it's, if we're willing the best for somebody, if I'm willing the best for somebody in, um, in the Philippines, and the way I'm willing the best for them is I'm giving, I have extra resources, I'm giving them resources so they can eat. That is loving. But it's not ultimately about singing songs. Christianity is about loving, willing the best for other people, for God and other people. So let's talk about what's love look like to love God?
1: How do we love God? Well, I think first of all, um, we have to start with kind of what our our narrative is about God loving us. Because if we don't begin at the spot of understanding that God really loves us unconditionally, then we cannot understand properly how to love outwardly. And so that's that's the very beginning spot, and a lot of that is uh, developed, you know, through the relationships we have with people, um, because a lot of times our definition of God comes from here, and then we apply it to God. But that's not it's backwards. Uh, that's backwards. So we have to to evaluate. <clears throat> excuse me. Um, do I believe that God really loves me unconditionally? And if, if we can really come to terms with that and accept that and embrace that and, and um, choose to believe that, then the, the loving God outwardly will come more naturally.
0: And we, and we choose to believe it not by blind faith. We choose to believe it based on, on evidence, and we choose to believe it based on the truth of Scripture. You know, while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. So he proved his love for us, and every day proves his love for us. James says um, every good gift comes down from the Father of lights, that every good thing comes from God. And so God first loves us. So we love God because he first loves us and he loves us unconditionally. So we, we understand that. And so I would remember as a new Christian thinking, how can God like give me a commandment that says I have to love him? I'm like, well that's just ridiculous. Like you know, Suzanne can look at me and say, Love me. And it'll kind of do the opposite. But then I understood that I didn't I understood that I didn't understand that that God loves us unconditionally and when we understand that God loves us unconditionally we automatically respond by loving him back because he loves us unconditionally and he provides everything for us the only natural response is to return love to him because we figure out, man, he didn't have to do any of this for me. He didn't have to create me. He didn't have to give me all I need. He didn't have to give me the air in my lungs, but he did it. So my response back to him is, thank you, is, is loving him loving him back. And, of course, how do we will the best for God? Well, I think we complete what he wants. What he wants is to walk in relationship with humankind. And so I, I want to will the best for him. As I give myself back to him. He loves me, and I love him back. And by loving him back, I'm willing the the best for God. And I think there's a a term that's made a big difference for me when I think about love. And especially it's in the Psalms, you'll see the word loving kindness. Remember, they'll say his loving kindness, his loving kindness endures forever. That term, I remember writing a paper one time, I had to use that term, and it dawned on me when I looked, when I figured out what it really meant, it means God's covenant love. In other words, it's like God, a covenant is is like a legal contract. That God contracts to love us his his love is a covenant it's a it 's a deal it 's a contract, and the reason I think that 's so important his love doesn 't vacillate. that. He made a contract to love you, and so he loves you and even no matter you know if, if you if you stumble, he still loves you, and if you stumble badly, he will discipline you he will even bible does us crazy things like put you know like uh the, the church people were in sin, and they said they, they turned over to Satan. I'm not sure what that means, but turned over to Satan. They, they would destroy their flesh so their soul would be saved. He loves you so much that it would discipline you to bring you back into a, into a right relationship with him. Yeah. And so it's a covenant love. He doesn't just quit on you. Right. He loves
1: you. Well, and when you think of covenant love, obviously you think about marriage because you're standing before God and all these witnesses, and you're making this vow. And I you know, I like to figure out how you apply what we're talking about, and I thought one way that we can figure out, am I loving God unconditionally is this? So I love Mark, and we always do, so, and yes, and,
0: and yes, you do
1: yeah. um, <laughs> so you know we're we've been married, going on thirty four years, and we have this conversation like sometimes like I don't know where I end, and he starts, yeah. right. And I can't imagine going a day without talking with him and being with him. So do I love God like that? Or do I love him like the long lost friend? That we grew up together, we know each other, and we see each other once every 10 years. And yes, we can pick up where we left off. But it's different. It's not the same as this kind of love. That he sees me on my good days and my bad days and the in between days and some days he loves me, but he doesn't like me. And, you, know, <laughs> you know, but I, I mean, that is in, in thinking about this term, this um, understanding of how, how does this work? How can I evaluate? Am I really, you know, understanding his covenant love toward me? And am I giving that back? Am I willing the best? Am I putting everything I can into this relationship? It's an easy evaluator to say, What kind of what kind of lover am I? Am I the one that's like, no, I need the daily relationship or I'm fine if it's every five years or ten years and I just catch up when I want.
0: And remember we're talking about here today learning to love. Right. Which means we evaluate and then we say, How can I get better? How can I how can I how can this be better in my life? And so yeah. so a challenge in our in our thing, it starts off, you know, love the Lord your God with all your heart, and yeah. strength. So, how am I loving God? Well, am I loving Him like a long lost friend, or am I loving Him like like my like my lover, like yeah. my
1: like my, my husband, my wife? Right. right. And um, on Thursday at Second Thursdays, which, ladies, if you don't come, you should. It's really great. But um, in thinking about this, there was a quote from the Mama Bear Apologetics book that we're going through, and it just stood out to me. And I thought it was it was applicable to our topic for the month but it applies so much here because if we do not intentionally evaluate where our love is coming from and being put then this is what will happen it says we will end up with a lush growth of self-centeredness sorry i can't read (laughs) self-centeredness blooming in our hearts without any love and i'm like just think of our culture it's us. just—it's it, it just, it. definition. The lush growth of self-centeredness, and it, it grows in our hearts. And it has. There's no love. We're so self-centered. It feels like love because we love ourselves more than anything else. But if we're not evaluating, where is my love for God? This is what's going to happen.
0: Yeah. So that's. So we can see there's ways we can grow in love for God. But we need. To, we need yep, to move we on. We got to move. Because. Because we only got to. One sentence so far in our outline. line. And uh, there's a whole page. So, loving others. Let's talk about loving others. Um, and Jesus said, love God and love others. So, loving others. And G- so, what we're going to do, if you have your Bibles, open up to the Sermon on the Mount, chapter, chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5. Um, because we're going to take, we're going to see what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. He gives us insight into what it looks like to love others. And, um, and honestly, until I was looking at this and hearing this sermon, I never saw Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount as this before. And I'm like, oh my goodness, that's what he's showing. How do we love, how do we love others well? And he's talking, in the Sermon on the Mount, he's talking about how do you live a life that's more righteous than the life of the Pharisees? Because that's the definite, The whole Sermon on the Mount, he starts off and he says, unless you are more righteous than the Pharisees, you won't see the kingdom of God. And they all went, how is that possible? So then he talks about all the sermon on the mount is saying, um, the Pharisees were external, they did on the outside, but their inside wasn't right. So he's saying, here's all ways to talk, evaluate yourself, and say, is your inside right? Are you right on the inside, not some facade on the outside? And so the center section in Matthew 5, he's talking about ways that you can love. And the first, so there's three categories that he breaks it into, on ways you could see, am I loving, and could I grow in love in these areas? The first way... From math, in, well, first of all, I'll say this: in the middle of it, I'm in the middle of it, in chapter um, uh, five, verse chapter five, verse forty-five, he basically says this: God is the example. So look at verse forty-five: so that you may know uh, that you may that sorry, that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for He causes His Son to rise in the evil the good and sends rain and the righteous the unjust. Some of your translations say so you may be like God. Who causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rays on the righteous and the unrighteous? He says you can be like you can be sons of your father or be like your father in heaven when you act in these ways. And he he defines these ways, Um, and we're going to look at three of them. But look at at these different ways, and basically saying this: He's good to good people and He's good to bad people. That's how God. That's how God acts. And so when He breaks it down into these three categories on challenging. Cat people categories to love, and understand this: you'll never grow in love when you only spend time with easy people. You learn to love dealing with hard people, you know. And so you have you as you deal with hard people, and you put yourself in a situation to will the best for them when it's hard. That's how you grow in love. So he gives us three categories of hard people to love. The first one is someone you're angry angry with. In Matthew 5, 21-24, it says this, "...but you have heard the ancients told you, you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court, and whoever says to his brother, you good for nothing, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court, and whoever says, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell.
1: Therefore, if you are presenting
0: an offering at the altar and you remember that your brother has something against you, leave your offering there before the altar and go first be reconciled to your brother, and then come and present your offering. So the overall thing is, you're somebody you're angry with. But I say to you, if you are angry with your brother, so how do we love someone that we are angry with from what Jesus is saying here? The first thing I think that's important, he talks about what you won't do. And this is the hard one in our culture. What won't we do? You won't call them names. You won't say you fool. You won't say um, you uh, you empty head. And your different translations will make it a little more modern. You fool. You um, you know you good for nothing. You won't degrade somebody if you're willing the best for them. You won't de- you won't um, put somebody down. You won't degrade them. You won't dehumanize them um, when you're angry. And I'm telling you, this is a hard one. I was raised, that's what you do. You know, I remember a situation. One day, I was in a, a heated conflict with one of my children when they were teenagers. And they looked at me, and he said, stop being such a knucklehead. To me. And it caught me like, did you just call me a knucklehead? And Suzanne looked at me and says, hmm, exactly what you call him all the time. And I'm like, ugh, you know, rats. Um, and so I couldn't be mad because they was just reflecting back on me what I, what I had done, but I'd been raised that way. Suzanne has been a great mentor for me to try to help learn this,
1: what well, not to do. And, and, you know, what, the story you shared just brings up a good point. When we're angry, we, do, we are not able to stop... We need to train ourselves to stop. But these things come out of us, and we quit seeing people through the eyes of God as one, uh, one that he loves and he created, and he has a plan for a purpose. And the goal, like we talked about, is to will the best for somebody else. And when we're angry with somebody, one, be aware that you're angry. Two, maybe in the heat of the moment, don't say anything and just go to the Lord and say, I need your perspective. And then three, be able to handle it
0: at a different time. Yeah. That would be more beneficial. I was going to ask you to expand on it later, but expand on it right here, because it's in the same point. And when you're dealing with somebody and you're angry with them, there's something that you say to me, you say to our family at times, about seeing them, bringing them to the cross, and seeing them a certain way. Explain what you do in a situation when you're frustrated with somebody.
1: Yeah, so, you know, obviously there's relationship issues that happen. We see it in Scripture, right? Um, And so one really helpful exercise that I began adopting a few years ago is really understanding every person that I come in contact with is a created son or daughter of God that he loves, that he has plans and purposes for, that even if we're not living it out, that's still God's heart. So that is the heart that we are trying, that we're trying to navigate and develop within us. So when, when the anger comes and the issues come and there's nothing I can do about it, I actually have an exercise where I visualize the person in my mind. And what I visualize is I take them by the hand and I walk them down an aisle and at the aisle... Is the cross and jesus is sitting there and like his blood that was shed all of it And I take him to jesus and I say i'm giving him to you I'm giving you the circumstance i'm giving you my emotion And just work in it how you can work in it Because I can't fix anything <laughs> Christ in me can work to navigate situations But he's the only one that can give the wisdom for that. He's the only one that can work in the other person. And so navigating that um, takes time and wisdom and discernment to get there.
0: Yeah, and so seeing them, being wise enough to not let your anger override the fact that you see them as somebody that is so valuable to God. So by taking them in your mind and literally taking them and presenting them before Jesus with you, side by side, putting them before Jesus, it now puts them in their state of value. Right. And so then right. you're, you're not going to call them a fool or a, an idiot or whatever term normally comes out of your mouth. Right. Jerk, whatever you say. Whatever term comes out of your mouth normally,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you go, that's not going to go. You wouldn't say that with Jesus sitting right there. Mm-hmm. So be, because you really, and the thing is, you're really doing that. Jesus is really here. He is. And so you're really bringing them to that place um, right. of, of, of value, seeing their value.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, along those lines of value, in the text here, it talks about how, much, how valuable people are. And it gives a story. It says, if you are at church, and they're talking about the temple back then, pre-church, Old Testament, the temple, and you're presenting an offering, and you realize you have something against your brother, leave your offering, don't do your religious activity Go be reconciled to your brother, then go do your religious activity. And what he's saying is, is that relationships triumph religion. And I was thinking of it this way: that restoration of broken relationships is worship. Right. He's saying it's worship to restore broken relationships. So what we do a lot of times when we're angry is we go. There's a common saying: "You're dead to me." Come and be honest. Don't raise your hand. Who's ever said in your mind you're dead to me? You don't exist anymore in my world. I don't care, I'm not going to call you anymore, you're dead to me. You might even say it, but you act that way.
1: It's you're no
0: longer, you're, you're persona castle, non grata, you the, don't exist the anymore. Cancel culture. And in learning how to love difficult people, Jesus is saying, you don't get that right. He's saying, if you're here and you're, you're worshipping, Pastor Mitch and Christine are singing and you're worshipping, what did we sing today, what's some song, what? Same God? We're singing this song. And I'm listening. You go. Oh man, I got this. He's literally saying you should actually stop and go fix your problem with this person. He's saying. He's saying now your relationship is that important. That relationship that people are that valuable. And so you don't to be to if you're angry with someone. He's saying you can't just let it sit there. You need to fix it. Mm -hmm. And now those although before you say only as much as you can. Scripture says as as much as it's up to you trying to live at peace with all men, if the other person is 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 resistant or unwilling or you know they're you know, whatever, being angry and vicious towards you, you can't fix them. But you can do what you can do towards the other person.
1: Right. And I mean that it just takes that level of um, waiting on God and discernment, you know, awareness of where the spirit's leading you to do that. Um But I think sometimes in our walks, we, you know, we we have our schedules and our traditions and the things that we do. So there's things that are non-negotiable, which they should be, unless the Spirit is saying, um, I need you to do this. And a real quick example of this is there is, this was a number of years ago, and it was not at this church, um, but there was some issues going on, uh, and it was actually within our family context, not, not this family, but extended family. And I was at church and the service and there was communion being served. And I went up, and got the communion and I went to sit down and there was somebody else in the room that I was having a very, very hard time with. I was very angry about some things. And literally I go to take the bread and they're like, the Holy Spirit's like, don't do it. <laughs> go talk to him. And I'm like, I can't. Like, we're in service and everything is quiet. And so I try to take it again. I say, like, don't do it. Three times, people. I'm like, Peter. <laughs> After the third time, I got up and I went over to the person and I sat down. And I said, I ask you to forgive me because I am angry and this is why. And it was great healing for that relationship. But I was in service. Everything was going. And the Holy Spirit's like, don't do it. That was way more important. That was more work that God could have done in a lifetime. In those few minutes that it took to be responsive to what the Spirit was saying, so the Lord was we, teaching
0: you how to love mm-hmm. by dealing with a situation of somebody you are angry with. Mm-hmm. So look at this: God will use those situations. Mm-hmm. Um, so don't just despise them and say you're dead to me. Understand mm-hmm. that God will use the situations you're angry you're angry with to make you better. And we got to move on. But I was just mm-hmm. one illustration. Of what I was planning on talking about, you know, a lot of you right now and we're in the same boat, are dealing with aging parents. And if you're dealing with aging parents, there's going to be a time you're going to be angry. <laughs> Once, or twice. Once or twice. Every second, right? You're going to be angry. There's going to be situations you're dealing with your aging parents. Um, and someday my kids are going to be angry with me because they're, I hope not, but you know, there are situations that go on. And I deal with so many of you in here that you're going through situations you're ang- with your aging parents And you're angry because you're like, they're not listening or they're not making any sense or they're fighting what they need to do and I'm looking out for their best. Here's the deal. God is using that circumstance to make you better. He's using it to make you better, to teach you how to love. That's why you don't escape these situations. He creates life in such a way that we have to deal with people we're angry with. Why? Because you and I need it. To learn how to love, I've got to be in situations that people are hard to love. And so, that's one of them. We need to move on. The next situation that Jesus talks about in learning how to love someone that's difficult, or in a difficult situation, is this. It's marriage. Look what he says here. Matthew five twenty-seven to 32 You have heard that it was says, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lust in her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you, it is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you, for it is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. It was said, whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that, that anyone who divorces his wife except for the reason of unchastity makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Now, we, we don't have time to unpack the cultural understanding of that because it was a different view than it is now in the sense that, that the women had absolutely no rights and the man could just write her a significant divorce and get rid of her. So he's he's challenging, he's saying that's wrong, but he's dealing with the idea of marriage here, and I'm upset in marriage, so I just write you off in marriage. And he's saying, no, marriage is, I believe, the primary relationship on planet Earth that God has designed to make you better. It's to make you better. Why? By taking people who are dissimilar and saying, guess what, don't just get along Become one. Make every decision together. Do everything together. Marriage is the most important of human relationships. Matthew 19, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two but one. What therefore God has joined, let no man separate. Most important relationship on planet Earth. And he said, Jesus says, you want to learn how to love? learn how to be married and stay married and get better. But it's challenging. Has it ever been challenging to be married to me?
1: Never. No. (laughs) But this is, I mean, but this is why scripture is, you know, is full of instructions. Husbands, love your church, or love your wife as Christ loved the church. Wives, respect your husbands. Um, You know, it's the only relationship where, where God says leave and cleave. You know, we are, this is supposed to be the priority. And when, when we can't get it right in our homes, it affects everything else. And so we have to be willing to work through the hard stuff. We have to be willing to, because in this list, marriage has them all. Somebody you're angry with, somebody who harms you, somebody, right? Yep. We, this is what happens. This is real life. And we have to figure out: Am I going to choose to love this person and will the best for this person, even when I don't feel like it? And I, these emotions well up, and it's it's a breeding ground for discipline and growth, or a discipline or a um, breeding ground for just disaster and death. And we make the choice of which way it's going to go. And so it's it's intention is learning
0: and remember god is the one who created marriage he knew it would be difficult and he did it it's also wonderful but he did it because he wants you to get better he wants you to grow he wants you how do you live how do you live out christianity love and forgive he puts us he puts he created the world in such a way that you're in relationships where you where it's hard to do that so that you do it you get better, and who do you become? You become what does say? More like your Father in Heaven. You become more like God. You look more like Jesus. Excuse me, like Jesus, when you learn how to make it work in marriage. And here's the deal: um, research shows that you will never mature if you escape relationships. That what is essential? One of the most essential things you need to get better, to mature in your life, to become more like Jesus, to mature, is the friction of long-term relationships. That's why I'll see this, say this, and, and we don't have this around here. We don't have it in our church, but it's endemic in a lot of places. We don't have people hopping in and out of our church. But here's what happens. Something happens in the church. Sister Sally doesn't like it. What does Sister Sally do? Sister Sally tells 20 people about it and then goes to the church down the street. Here's what happens. And Sister Sally is the same thing in that church and goes down the street to the next church. And this sister Sally goes it tells 20 people in that church, gets offended by something else there, and goes to the next church. And here's the deal. I'm not saying that never does anybody trust churches because some people fit better in other churches. But when Sister Sally does that, 25 years later, Sister Sally's the exact same undeveloped person.
1: Because she never put up with the
0: friction of long-term relationship. Marriage. Puts us in a long-term till death do us part relationship, so that we can get become more like Jesus. And if we escape it, we escape what God gave us to help us be formed in Christ likeness.
1: So avoiding avoiding the conflict, or and and I've seen this a lot over the years. Is actually so what happens in marriage is this friction starts happening, and then you just avoid each other. You do your own thing and he does his own thing. Or you just and put all your, start, your kids on you kids. Right. So you avoid this relationship, yep. which then neither of you can grow, neither of you become, and it, it,
0: it's, your life is not as
1: fulfilled and blessed as what God would have for you. So avoidance is not the key. The key is to say, okay, Lord, I, give me wisdom on how we can address the tension that's happening here, the drift that's happening here. Because if this, if this can be good and strong and we can grow together and develop into Christ likeness in marriage, which by the way, like we do imperfectly. Yeah, very okay. Like imperfectly. a lot of people will sit and say, Oh, you guys have such a perfect life and your family's great. And I think it's, I love my life. My life is great, but we're, we're, woefully imperfect. (laughs) We're actually
0: loud arguers. So,
1: yeah, people are like, but actually (laughs) we we argue loudly. Um, But, but, so it's, but God sees our heart. God sees what we're trying to do. And so as a couple, and I know we got to go, but avoidance isn't, isn't the the goal.
0: Matter of fact, avoidance will keep you from becoming who you're supposed to become. The last point, and we're just going to summarize it. You can read the text later, I'll summarize it. The last one is, um, learning to love someone who harms you. And Jesus is talking about in that text somebody taking you to court um, and um, to think somebody taking you to court basically somebody who's got something bad they want to take, to take your they're going to slap you, they're going to take you to court and he says, well, yeah. let them, right? So there's, how do I learn to love somebody who's going to harm me? First of all, it says God is our example. We want to act like God. He's good towards good people and towards evil people. Um, And and Jesus gives in here three different ways, examples, of what it looks like to love someone who's trying to harm you. Number one, in verses, so I will read the text, verses 39 to 42, he talks about be willing to be taken advantage of. So listen to what it says here. Um, But I say to you, do not resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you in the right cheek, turn to the other. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, let them take your coat. Anyone who forces you to go one mile, go two. Give to him who would ask. Do not turn away from him who wants to borrow from you. So Jesus says, how do you love someone who wants to harm you? He says, be willing to be taken advantage of. You know how un-American that is? Being how unhuman that is? Be willing to be taken advantage of. But that's what Jesus modeled for us. Jesus, when they, when they arrested him, they said, don't you have anything to say? He goes, my father could send six 1,000 angels right now to set me free if I wanted. But I'm not going to do that because I know I have to die. I have to be taken advantage of for your sake. Jesus is our model. There are times, and there's, there's parameters for this. We don't have time today to talk about it. But there are times when somebody is trying to harm you, and to love them, you let them do it. They take advantage of you in some kind of business deal or something. You let them do it to, to love them. In this situation, to will the best for them. Another one you can talk about from verse forty-four is you you pray for someone instead of retaliating.
1: Well, and I think that's just what we we've, we've covered that kind of about just you know understanding they have value. They're created in the image of Christ the same way we are. We're called; He's calling them to be their sons and daughters also. So praying for them is just should be the outflow of of living for Christ. And, and we've loving learned you.
0: if you pray for somebody, you cannot hate them. You can't hate somebody you pray for. Start praying for somebody that you're so angry with because they're trying to harm you. And what will happen is you will grow in love for that person. You may begin to pity them. these so things happen. You might still not understand them. You still might be very angry about what they're doing. But God can help you to come to a place of peace in your heart where you actually can will the best for that person. Again, you don't feel like a 14-year-old kid who has hormones that loves them like they love pizza, but rather says, in my heart, I really will the best for that person. So you will the best for somebody who wants to harm you. Go Yeah,
1: you know, just because I know we're kind of coming to the end, but, you know, if as Christians and disciples our mission is to grow more like Jesus and more in love with him then in, order, in any of these relationships, somebody we're angry with, our spouse, someone who's out to harm us. Um, we have to have the margin to spend with Jesus experiencing his love in order to express his love back to him. And, you know, um, I was listening to a podcast recently and um, the theres a saying and I think it's um hurry is incompatible with love I think um, but how when we're talking about praying for people that we have issues with if we're in such a hurry that we don't have time to spend with Jesus then we're not going to have time to allow him to work on our heart to develop his heart in us toward that person so it's kind of a circle for us and so you know margin and time with Jesus is is I mean, you can't replace
0: it. Well, it's the essential. It's the the
1: essential. Right.
0: We need to wrap up.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: Jesus never said that loving others would be easy. Loving others, learning to love God and loving others, is the result, the outflow of a spirit-formed life. And we get the opportunity to grow. And God gives us, allows us into hard circumstances so that we can grow. And so our hope today, as we're looking at again, this was the fifth of the things that we learn to grow in in our seven attributes of Christ follower. That we really say to ourselves as we're as we're here and we're walking out today. Okay, God, how what hard situation did He put me in, and how are You trying to teach me to love through those? And you'll give God the opportunity instead of resisting or saying You're dead to me. Instead of putting up, saying they don't you know just fighting, calling names, whatever. You will say no. How can I become more like Jesus in that situation? You will bless that person, but friends, more than that, you'll grow in Christ like this and you'll be blessed. Amen? Let's stand together. I know we've gone long, but you got two for the price of one today. And so, um, let me just close in prayer. If you want prayer at the end of the service, Suzanne and I, our prayer team will be up here. We'll love to pray with you. If not, when you're done, go out and hang out. And, um, I think there's even leftovers from, from Evan's graduation party yesterday. Congratulate Evan on, on graduating from North Central. Yeah. And, and, and ladies, when you go out, there's going to be some gorgeous little kids out there, cute little kids, giving you some gifts as you walk out the door. But there's some leftovers from the graduation party. Hang out, drink a cup of coffee, have something to eat. But let's pray together. Father, thank you so much. That you love us so much, you show us how to love. And what you show us in the Sermon on the Mount is that to become more like you, you you don't give us an easy path. Matter of fact, you take us through into really hard situations on purpose so that we can grow. We can learn to grow. And Lord, we want to do that. Now Lord, we know we can't ever control another person. And this is all about relationships. And in every relationship, there's at least two people. And we know that the other person doesn't have to listen to any of this and they can reject all of this. But Lord, your word says as much as it depends on us, let us live at peace with all people. Let's, let us be, in other words, love other people. So Lord, help us as a church family to be people who are filled with love. And it's expressed by how we treat difficult people, how we live in our marriages, how we, how we treat people who want to harm us. And that, Lord, we would grow to be more like you because who knows that happens. Your word says, as as you are lifted up, you will draw all people. So you are lifted up as we become like you. And you'll draw more and more people to your feet. People to know that they need you. And Lord, I would just ask this for anybody that might be here today that doesn't know you. Would you let them know today that you love them and you want them to know that that they are welcome in your family? And they can say, Jesus, I need you. Come into my life today. I want to turn away from the old life and become brand new in you. And they can do that. That You will receive them today. So, Lord, now I just pray this over this church family. We pray for your blessings upon them. We pray that the Lord would bless and keep you. The Lord would make His face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord would lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you, friends. Have a wonderful Mother's Day. Go hang out for a while.